morning, everyone. Good morning. Happy Friday. Uh, at the finish of this week, we've got one more week, right? Five more days in the mornings here together. Um, and so, as, as sweet as it is and as sad as I will be, um, we'll have to find other ways to hang out. <laughs> Alright, so let's turn to Genesis chapter 8 this morning as we continue on in our teaching. And uh, Brian, can you give me a marker at the 20 minute marker, 720? Because there's so much stuff today. I could go to like 740, but I'm going to try and break it up and save some for next week. Yeah, I see a lot of like, yes, yes, please. Okay, uh, Genesis chapter 8. <clears throat> But God remembered, so, so the flood happened, and everyone's wiped out. And Noah and his family and those that God preserved are now in the ark. And it had been raining uh, for 40 days and nights, according to the scriptures. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark, and he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed, and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of the hundred and fifty days, the water had gone down, and on the seventeenth day of the seventh month of the ark, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to recede until the tenth month, and on the first day of the tenth month, the tops of the mountains became visible. After 40 days, Noah opened a window. He made in the ark and sent out a raven, and it kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground, but the dove could find nowhere to perch because there was water all over the surface of the earth. So he returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out to his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. He waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Um, so God remembers Noah and his family, remembers his creation, remembers his promise they were devastated there was judgment there was nothing they could do they had no power they had no ability to save themselves they didn't know what to do they were all out of options the the future looked bleak and chapter 8 verse 1 if you had a pen if you had a pen you would highlight this two words but God but God. And you will see this phrase, but God, all throughout the scriptures. You may have heard a, a sermon or a devotional about it. And every time there seems like there is no way, every time there seems like you're stuck, every time you feel like you're forgotten, there's nothing you can do. And all throughout the scriptures, Israel and the people of God are in that same situation and predicament. They're stuck. They don't know what to do. And then the scriptures reminds us, but God, but God remembered Noah, but God remembered Abraham, but God remembered Israel and their plight, and so then sent Moses. And so all these places in our lives, 
I mentioned this a few days ago that whenever we were in a situation or difficulty and we didn't know what to do and we felt like giving up and in that moment we called out to God that's by God's grace that's God's mercy that's God allowing us to hear his voice that's God allowing us to sense him all of us who are believers and saved is because God allowed us permitted us and so in our desperate time of need we were able to perceive and, and, and have this revelation. And, and so God intervened. God has a plan. Amen. God has a plan. No matter what you're going through right now, God has a purpose and a plan. Um, as soon as they, uh, uh, the next verses, we won't read all of them, but eventually they get dry land. It, it lands on the Mount of, of Ararat in that region. And as soon as, in 20, verse 20, then Noah... Right? As soon as they let out the animals and came out, then Noah, in verse 20, built an altar to the Lord, taking some of the clean animals and clean birds, and he sacrificed burnt offerings. If you guys remember, uh, those for eating and sacrificing, there were seven of every kind. And, and everything else, there were two by two pairs. So I, at the end, and I had a discussion, like, oh, uh, how come all the Sunday schools, all, you know, two by two only... Uh, when they entered the ark, it was two by two. <laughs> uh, but actually, as you take a closer look, uh, some animals and birds were in sevens for eating and for sacrifice. And so the first thing that Noah does, right, but God, God remembers him. Amen? God remembers their plight. God remembers his promise that he made to redeem all humanity, even though this judgment had come over. I explained yesterday how... Uh, uh, there's some parallels and symbolism with baptism. The earth died through water, right? And then through Christ, another type of water, the Holy Spirit was poured out and new life was given to the world. Does that make sense? So in that sense, the world was baptized, died under the water through Christ and the outpouring and veiling of the Holy Spirit, a, a, a different type of symbolism of water, the Holy Spirit. The whole world is now regenerated or, or given new life or the opportunity. <clears throat> the first thing Noah does when he knows he's dead meat, when he knows he's forgotten on that boat for however many hundred and twenty, you know, forty plus days, you know, despair and, and you know, loss of hope and sending out birds and ravens and wondering if God and the scripture says, but God remembered. God remembered. The first thing Noah does, you know, Noah's like, oh my gosh, thank you. Thank you for remembering our family. Thank you for not forgetting us. Thank you for the second chance. The first thing Noah does when he hits land and when he gets off that boat is he worships God. He worships. Okay? He sets up an altar. He sets up a sacrifice. And that is an act of worship. The first response to God's mercy, God's grace, and God's provision is worship. And we are to do the same. Every favor, every blessing, every breakthrough, every healing, every forgiveness, we must respond in an act of worship. Amen? I want to go on to uh, uh, Genesis chapter 9. Um, you know, the chapters or verses are, are off, you know, were, were, were made by man. Man, I'm going to say by divine inspiration, even that, you know. But, you know, sometimes a, a narrative or a story or, or a thought process is divided by a chapter, but really it's the same, same narrative. Um, then it says in 9.1, uh, 
Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Right? So he's giving the same mandate, the same message once again that he gave uh, um, you know, in the garden. Um, then he goes on to say in verse 4, But you must not eat meat that, is, that has its lifeblood still in it. So God gives a few simple instructions, right? Don't eat meat with lifeblood still in it. You, you will, as you study the Bible, and as you read the Bible, um, there will be like certain instructions God says. And you don't understand why. But God says don't do it. And so we either trust Him or we don't. And so we don't do it. Um, and so a lot of things are seem so spiritual, you know? Like, like uh, the Ten Commandments, you know, do not commit murder, uh, uh, you know, do not steal. You know, I mean, I think we understand that they're quite basic. Um, there are certain areas of scriptures, I bet, if you read, you're like, well, I don't know if I agree with that. Is that, is that something, you know, archaic or something? Uh, um, you know, various, various codes of conduct, various, uh, 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 you know, uh, living in, in morality, you know, certain things, uh, without going into the details. Here's one example. I can, I can come up with a, you know, 20 examples and you guys would say, oh yeah, yeah, I get that one, get that one. Here's one example, and, I, and all I want to say about this is this. God's laws are highly spiritual, so we must, whether we agree or understand them or not, we must abide by His principles. Amen? Whether we understand or not, when God says do something, do it. When God says don't do something, don't do it. Right? If God says give and tithe, then do it. If God says don't do this, steal, cheat, you know, then don't steal and cheat. Does that make sense? There's, there's, there's very spiritual aspects to it. Um, God says, you know, you know, thousands of years ago to Noah and his family, don't eat meat that has lifeblood in it. Okay, you know, stay pure. God will say, stay pure. You know, follow me, abide in me. Well, one of the things that sets Israel apart from all other civilizations and governments and people groups is that they have a code of laws. They're the first civilization recorded in history that has a code of laws. And it sounds so not fancy, it sounds so unromantic. But the code of laws is exactly what preserves them. It is the word of God that actually sets them apart. So we, you know, today we're like in a context where oh, the word of God is negotiable. It's, 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 it's uh, uh, you know, when I need it kind of a thing. And so when God says, don't eat from the lifeblood of animals and other cultures and civilizations are doing that, it's, it's, it's very spiritual in the sense that obey God and trust God, stay pure, but it's, all, it's also very basic and elementary because all diseases are carried by blood and nobody knew that you know, thousands of years ago. Thousands of years ago, nobody knew, not even until 150 or you know, years ago, uh, uh, they realized you know, people were, uh, uh, diseases were being spread in hospitals because of the surgery and the, and the you know, unkept practices of, of, uh, of you know, sanitizing and things like that. And so God already knew, but they didn't know. But all God says is, don't do it, trust me. And then later the science would prove that God is right. Does that make sense? So there are a lot of things in scriptures where God says, don't do it, don't eat certain things, don't do, practice certain things that they don't understand, um, but God knows fully well. And so this is for the preservation of Israel. And so other civilizations and people groups don't practice this. And as a result, you know, there's, there's pandemics and disease and and, and all sorts of ailments that fall. But if Israel obeys the laws of God, the code of laws, certain ways and principles and truths that God would later reveal, 
And later we'd be like, oh yeah, it makes sense, I get it, right? But for thousands of years, they're like, why, does, why can't we touch, eat, eat or touch you know, lifeblood in animals? Right? Or, or, or you know, uh, touch an unclean person, you know, or, or, or a body, or someone, you know, a, a human uh, with, with blood or, or, or certain things like that. And so I want you to see that they're highly spiritual because we have to rely on God, and God has a purpose, and there's symbolic spiritual symbolism, but at the same time, they're very, very elementary. Okay? Does that make sense? Okay. Um, and then he goes on in verse 8, and, and I'll get to that in a second. Uh, I want to... Um, Sorry, my clock is not showing, which is very dangerous. Okay. Um, I want to take a step back, and I, and I mentioned that I was going to talk about how God has given the mandate to wipe out people groups. That, that, for some, can be a very problematic passage. Why does God allow a people group, Israel, to wipe out a whole other people group, the Amalekites, women and children? I mean, in the Psalms, when you read it, it's quite graphic. Um, and so, so you can brush that by, which is okay, you know, I've done that for most of my life and just focus on the good parts. Um, but then we have the flood and I challenge you guys, you know, the last few days, are you okay with the flood? You know, is God trustworthy? And, and, and when you look in the context of the three lenses, the whole council of scriptures, uh, uh, the, you know, in the lens of the redemptive narrative of Christ, right? So we're looking for Jesus all throughout scriptures in the Old Testament symbolism point, which gives us the overarching narrative that God loves us and God has a, a master plan. And then thirdly and lastly, I, I said the other day, the Holy Spirit. We have to have the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Um, so I'll give you guys a little bit of a history lesson. Okay, um, You must remember God made a promise to redeem all mankind and to save the world. Amen? And you must remember that's going to come uh, through the, the seed of uh, uh, Eve, uh, Adam and Eve. And that line has to be preserved. Ultimately, God knows that Jesus, the Messiah, has to come to bring this redemptive plan and purpose to fruition. So then you have to know that the enemy will do everything he can to oppose that purpose and plan, right? If God has a plan and a purpose to bring eternal life and salvation for all mankind, for those that would believe through Jesus, and the fruition and timing of that has to come, then you can rest assured that the enemy will do everything he can to cut that line or to stop that line, to stop God's redemptive purpose and plan, to break God's promise. So the Amalekites were a people group uh, that practiced all sorts of debauchery and sin. Um, the, uh, Amalek is a grandson of Esau who broke covenant with God by giving up his birthright. Um, if you guys remember Haman, who tries to wipe out the whole of Israel, right, came against uh, Queen Esther. Uh, uh, you know, Haman was a descendant of uh, Amalek. He, he was an Amalekite. Um, all throughout scriptures, the Amalekites are trying to annihilate the Jews. Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 to 14, Numbers chapter 14, 41, Judges chapter 3 and chapter 6. All throughout, they're trying to wipe out a whole people group of Israel. Right? The people of Israel must be preserved. The line of, 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 of Adam you know, to, to, to Noah to, to uh, uh, David, all the way to Jesus, must be preserved for the redemptive plan uh, to be brought about. And so there's, a, there's this group that are constantly in opposition to God, in opposition to God's will, in opposition to God's truth, in opposition to God's people. One of the scriptures is very clear that God said that he finds these people detestable. 
And one of the reasons why, um, let me let me let me let me say couch it this way. Um, um, okay, so a people group that does not follow God, does not subscribe to God's laws, uh, do the scripture says they do what they saw or thought was right in their own hearts. Basically, they decide what is good, what is wrong. Every major decision in their life that pertains to them is based on themselves, not on God. Okay, and so what happens when a nation or a people group, you know, for example, those of you who have done PMC with me. You know, they go through a, a famine, right? A famine and a life of loss and leadership doesn't know what to do, the king, and, and they don't believe in God. So, so they do, they do a, 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 you know, like, a, like, a, like an offering. They'll, they'll sacrifice grains or a harvest to appease the god of, you know, uh, agriculture, right? And then sure enough, rain comes. Oh, wow, it worked. Okay, another few years goes by, another drought comes. Another, you know, significant loss of life. Oh, man, the... the the grain offering wasn't enough. What's next? Okay, how about how about we do uh, uh, animal sacrifice? You know, life is far more precious than than plants, um, and so let's 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 sacrifice a you know a cow or something. So they take a huge cow, they sacrifice it, blood, and give it to the god of you know a, a rain or something, and it appeases them, and rain comes down, and oh, it works. And so another few years of you know productivity and, and, and favor and things like that. Another drought comes, right? So you guys see the progression. So what, what's more precious than a, than, a, than a huge, you know, cattle? Oh, how about a, how about a baby cattle? Baby cattle is far more precious. It's, it's, it's hardly lived. It's, 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 it's beautiful. You know, all those things. You know, we haven't got much productivity out of it. It's, 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 there's a whole lot we're sac So let's, let's sacrifice, a, you know, a baby cattle. So they sacrifice baby cattle. And, and that appeases them. Oh, wow, that one was good. That one lasted seven years. Right? You guys see the progression in the pattern? Another drought comes. Oh, it's not enough. We have to give this... God more, he wants more. And so cultures and societies were developing these sacrifices. And so what's, when a, when a severe drought comes and you're really, you know, backs against, what's, what's more precious than a, than a baby animal? Oh, the collective minds got together. You know what's more precious than cattle and animals and, and crops and grains? Humans. Let's sacrifice a human. No, 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 we can't do that. You know, we're crossing some kind of boundary. But look at all the people that are, you know, these dialogues and discussions and debates, and, and then there's a compromise. Okay, let's sacrifice the first human. And that lasts 10 years and all sorts of, you know, favor and productivity. And then sure enough, another cycle hits. And what's more precious than a human being? What's more precious than a human being? A baby human. In all of life, you couldn't think of anything more precious to sacrifice than a baby. The Amalekites, the scriptures is very clear. God says, you are detestable to me because they are sacrificing children. So one, they are sacrificing children. Two, they are in constant opposition to the purpose, redemptive purpose and plans of God. Now God has set a code of laws. You know, I mean, we haven't gotten there yet, but he will. And these set of laws and codes are for their preservation and for their redemption. And so if the surrounding value systems and cultures of the world are practicing and permeating their value systems upon the people of God, that is a threat against the ultimate redemptive plan of God. Does that make sense? And so God's righteous judgment 
I mean, God doesn't come down, but the people of God as a representation, manifestation of God, right? God's people is a manifestation of his righteousness, of his justice, and God allows and permits Israel to wipe out. Consider the other way around, where, where surrounding regions and practices and value systems in opposition to the kingdom of God permeate and take over the people of Israel. Game over. Can you imagine a world? Can you imagine a world where these value systems are mainstream? Right? Does that make sense? And so you can see from that angle, the vantage point, God's redemptive purpose and plan ultimately to bring redemption to all mankind, how God permits, how this is just, how this is righteous. Is that helpful in giving you perspective in the context? Because outside of that, it's just like, oh, God is just vindictive. God is just spur of the moment, you know, upset at these people. No, it's, he's just. He's righteous. And he has a purpose and a plan. And I mentioned the other day about salvation and all that. Don't forget, actually, the moment Adam and Eve sinned, we were all condemned. Everyone deserves eternal separation, right? But by God's grace, he makes a way and a provision. And for those that would believe and follow and subscribe, they will be saved. Amen? Amen. Um, here's a few uh, tidbits for you. Um, theologically, scripturally, truths, guardrails to keep us in the right path. One, God is the final definition of love. God is the ultimate final definition of love. Two, God is the final and ultimate definition of what is just. Right? We relinquish that. We, we subscribe that to him. The moment we believe he loves us, he came, died on the cross, we trust him, even for the areas that we don't understand. God is holy. God is holy. His standards have not been diminished ever. He just paid the price that is impossible for us to pay. But God is holy. He has zero tolerance for evil. God has zero tolerance for evil. Right? Um, and there's all these other scriptures and things we won't get into now. I want to wrap up and point towards this. <laughs> it's kind of heavy. You know, kind of chew on it over the weekend, okay? And I'll bring you something good on Monday. Right? Um, through Noah, I'll give you some gospel light, some, some room for hope. In verse 8, this is what it says, Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and your descendants after you. And every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals and those that came out of the ark with you, living creatures on the earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again, never again will, I, will all life be destroyed by waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. Amen? One of my friends joked, was like, but there's still fire. <laughs> Never again with water, but the next time is going to be fire. You know? Um, this, is, this is huge. This is huge. Um, I, I wouldn't, but just to make a point, like, you know, tear this page out of scriptures, frame it, put it on the your wall of your dining table. This chapter right here. Chapter 9, verse 9. I now establish a covenant. Um, I'll, get that, I'll get to that in a second. Verse 12. And then, and then God said, this is the sign of the covenant. This is the sign. God's going to make a covenant. And then this is the sign. The covenant is, I'm never going to destroy all mankind in this way ever again. The sign of the covenant is, I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds. I have set my rainbow in the clouds. 
um, a covenant. This is the first, this is the reason why this is so significant is because this is the first mention and the first covenant in the scriptures. In the Bible, there are five covenants. And this is the first of five. There's the Noahic covenant, there's the Mosaic covenant, there's the Davidic covenant, um, and, and several others I won't get into now. Um, and this is the first. And what is a covenant? A covenant is a solemn commitment guaranteeing promises. A solemn commitment guaranteeing promises. An obligation undertaken by one or both parties sealed, sealed, that's a significant word with an oath. Basically, it's a contract. It's a contract. Um, and I'll explain what this contract means on Monday. Okay, can we have worship come up? Okay, I remember I told you guys in the very first couple days that God would bring judgment on himself. You know, the serpent would bite the heel. Uh, the, the, the child of Mary or the child of Eve would bring redemption, referring to Jesus. But the serpent, you know, and the, and the serpent would be crushed. The head would be crushed, but it would bite the heel, you know, uh, uh, referencing that, you know, Christ would go to the cross and be crucified. God's judgment has, and righteousness has not been diminished. It's still here. He didn't like, you know what, this is too hard for you guys. I'm going to lower it. God didn't do that. He says, I'm holy. I'm righteous. The standards are here. And then there is judgment over the earth. And we know how that judgment is going to be redeemed through Christ on the cross. And remember he said that, you know, God's promise that he's going to pay the full price, that God was the one who made the first sacrifice and covered Adam and Eve, right? God made the first sacrifice of his own volition, of his own will, he made provision. And so God says, the next judgment will not fall on mankind. Right right here he says, I'll never judge all mankind for their unrighteousness again. And then he puts a rainbow in the sky. And I, I read this one children's book one time, and, and they articulated it so beautifully. The rainbow in the sky is a mark that heaven will never judge earth whole and 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 you know, all mankind wiped out like that ever again. But again, the, the, the standards are still there. Judgment must be paid. And so this children's book painted the rainbow and shaped it like a bow and arrow and said, basically it was pointing at, next time the judgment will not be pointed at humankind, but next time the judgment will be pointed at heaven. Right? And so you remember that arrow I said you have to follow all throughout the scriptures, all throughout Genesis that points to Christ. The promise God is making here is saying, I'll never judge you in this way again, but the price of redemption, the price of your righteousness must be paid. And he's basically saying next time judgment will fall on us, will fall on heaven, will fall on Jesus. And so this morning let's respond. Why don't we all rise? Let's just respond and give thanks to the Lord. God is making a promise. God is... God has made a promise. God has verbalized a promise. God has given symbolism of a promise. Next week, we're going to see how the covenants are God's words written in promise. A contract binding us and himself to the ultimate redemptive plan and purpose. And so God has a purpose. God has a plan. Let's give it a praise to Jesus. Thank you.